all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Far, Far Away family? It's Kyle, your cosmic companion, popping in to share another part of this stellar adventure. Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives, your cosmic gateway to the High Republic's unfolding saga. Hold on to the controls, because Part 12 is about to launch us into a realm of excitement like never before. After the mind-bending revelations of Part 11, there's no telling what's going to happen next. Are you ready to ride this galactic wave of anticipation? Let's traverse this uncharted nebula and unlock the mysteries of the Force. Are you ready? Then let's get to it. Part 3. The Storm. The Outer Rim. The Kerr Nebula. The new elite dropped out of hyperspace near a bright green nebula that cast the ship's bridge in a sickly, swamp-like hue. Kossif hated the color. He was from Srilur, out in hot space. A dry world where the only time you saw something green was when it was covered with mold. Green was unnatural. A bad shade. A bad omen. A lot of those going around. The ship's bridge was silent. No music. Kossif didn't feel like it. He stared down at what remained of his hand as the medical droid attended to it, sealing off the slashed open flesh, patching it up as best it could. His options seemed to be to retain a claw with a few fingers still attached, or just lop off what was left and go for a prosthetic. Either way, his blaster hand was never going to be the same. He'd have to learn to shoot with his left. Marcion Roe, Kossif thought. Marcion Blasted Roe! Did the odd tell you when those Republic ships would show up? Wetbub said. We bring a plenty of firepower. Should be able to knock down anything they bring. Get rid of that flight recorder thing Marcion Rowe told us about. And then it's back to business. <laughs> the Gungan grinned, his huge, idiotic teeth glowing like cave mushrooms in the weird light from the nebula. I'm sick of all this waiting around, Bub went on. We're the Nile Hill! We need to ride the storm! Kossiv looked up from the wreckage of his favorite hand, scowling at his lieutenant. Listen, you stupid Pawaka! You're gonna wait as long as I tell you to, and then you'll do exactly what I tell you to! Wetbub held up his hands, his two perfectly fine hands, like he was rubbing it in, and backed away. Right, boss? Oh. He said. Bub looked like a corpse. A moldy, three weeks dead corpse. Kossif glanced around the bridge at the rest of his crew. Everyone did. That blasted nebula. Outside the bridge viewport, he saw the rest of his tempest dropping in, as ordered. About a hundred ships, mostly small. Strike ships and cloud ships, with a scattering of larger vessels. Assault craft modified freighters, that kind of thing. His people, all loyal to him and him alone. They were all nigh hill, sure, but these crews didn't take orders from Pan Eta or Lorna D. 
and definitely not Marcy on Roe. Kasev considered his fleet, casting his eyes from one ship to the next. Basically his entire Tempest, barring a few of his people off on jobs. Might not be the prettiest in the galaxy, but it was powerful. It could cause some real damage. Pan Eta chose stuck-up thinkers for his crews. Lorna D picked liars and sneaks. Kasev. <laughs> now he had always chosen warriors. He thought if it came to it, his Tempest could probably take Pan Eta's and Lorna D's groups combined. Warriors. Every one of them. And they all believed the same thing. A lesson Kasev had learned by the time he could walk. When you're in a battle, you never stop fighting. Win or die. In fact, looking at his Tempest swarming around the new elite, the idea occurred to him, and not for the first time, did he really need the Nihil at all? Why not just take his people and go? Head across the rim. Find somewhere else to work. The paths were useful, but he didn't need them. And he sure as hell didn't need Martian Row. It was a big galaxy. He could start a new Nigh Hill. He'd learned all the techniques. No reason he couldn't use them somewhere else. But none of this blasted storm business. He was sick of it. Maybe something to do with... fire. That could work. Sparks on the bottom, then flames, blaze, Inferno? Oh, yeah. That could work just fine. And him at the top. As the sun. Kothev, a big, powerful star around which all else revolved. Perfect. It would work like a charm. There were always people looking for something to belong to. A way to get ahead. And the Republic was rich, fat, ready for plucking. The Jedi investigators Martian was so scared of were looking for the Nihil. Not him specifically. Yeah, maybe they knew his name, his ship, after Iriadu. But he could change both. If Martian Roe and the other Tempest Runners loved the organization so much, let them take the heat and figure out how to deal with everyone who wanted the Nihil gone. In fact... Why the hell was he waiting around for those Republic ships with that stupid flight recorder? Better if they kept it, and used it to track down Martian and the rest of the Nihil. It would solve two problems at once. He had his entire Tempest assembled right here. He could give the order to leave right now. Kossif waved the medical droid back. He reached for the communications controls on his command chair, a little awkwardly with his bad hand and began to key in the code for a fleet-wide transmission. Goodbye, Storm. Hello, Fire, he thought. Delix, over at the monitoring station, spoke. Ships dropping out of hyperspace, Kossif. He looked at her, his eyes narrowed. The Republic transports? She leaned forward, as if she couldn't believe what the screens were telling her. It might be the Republic, but it's not just a few ships, she said, and looked back up at him, her organic eye gone wide. It's... 
a battle fleet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Admiral Cronara stood on the bridge of the Third Horizon, analyzing the tactical display, focusing on the rapidly updating data about the enemy forces provided by his ship's sensors. It looked like his coalition was about to face the full Nihil fleet, and this didn't seem like a force of disorganized marauders either. Dozens of ships of all sizes, from fighters all the way up to a central flagship, some kind of custom-built thing about the size of a standard corvette. Scans were already building a picture of its military capabilities, which seemed fairly significant. It was no pushover. None of the ships out there seemed to be, in fact. Every single one was armed with everything from laser cannons to magnetic mines. There was potential here for a battle the likes of which he, a ranking military commander in the Republic, hadn't seen in decades. That was the problem with how good Chancellor So was at her job. The huts were quiet, the Mandalorians hadn't kicked up any trouble since before he was born, and the largest engagement most of his people ever got to handle was on the level of a skirmish. There wasn't even a standing Republic fleet, just the odd emissary-class cruiser like the Third Horizon, and various smaller support and tactical ships. By and large, sectors and planets handled their own security. On the rare occurrence of a more serious threat, the Republic Defense Coalition treaties could be activated. Prosperous worlds like Chandrilla and Alderaan were called upon to supply ships and personnel under the command of Republic military officers, which were returned to their homeworlds once the crisis was complete. That's what had happened here. On the Chancellor's orders, Granara put out the call, and he'd managed to assemble a good-sized task force. Most of the treaty worlds had been more than happy to contribute materiel. All wanted a chance to strike back against these Nihil, the criminals that had crippled the galaxy. Under his direct command, Gronara had the Third Horizon, with its long beams and a fairly robust complement of Incom Z-28 Skywings. In fact, his hangars comprised most of the small division of attack craft under direct Republic control. Beyond that, RDC member worlds had contributed five pacifier-class sector patrol cruisers, each with a crew of a hundred, as well as their own long beam and skywing squadrons. And another group was on the way. Not a signatory to the RDC treaty, and not necessarily the people he would have invited along, but also not the sort of people you could easily refuse especially considering the tragedy visited upon them by the emergencies. Another ship was visible on his display, outside his command authority, but certainly an ally. The Atraxia. The one large starship under direct control of the Jedi Order. It was a beautiful ship, designed to subtly evoke the Order's symbol with its hull and sweeping curved wings accented in white and gold. While the Atraxia would be permanently stationed at the new Starlight Beacon Station once it opened, today 
It had come to offer support to the RDC task force. The ship was lightly armed, but it could carry a large number of vectors. And on this day, its hangers were full. Before the ship arrived, Granara hadn't been certain the Jedi would participate at all, despite Chancellor So's request. The Jedi were linked to the Republic in many ways, but they could and did go their own way whenever they thought it was appropriate. Whatever their reasoning, he was glad the Order was here. Jedi tended to come in handy. Admiral Cronara would never wish for war, but he would take any opportunity he got to assemble a coalition task force and get real-time combat and coordination training. Even better, there was no moral ambiguity about the situation. These Naya were clearly on the wrong side of history. A fully justified military action against a significant force? A chance to make the galaxy safer? Yes, he'd take it. He refocused on the display, thinking through the tactics he was about to employ. His forces were in green, in disciplined, uniform rows. The Nihil were a swirling, chaotic blob of red. A lot of ships out there made it difficult to predict how things might go. Cronara had studied the few bits of intelligence available on the Nihil, gathered by security forces from various Outer Rim worlds. By reputation, they were a pretty savage bunch. More troubling, reports suggested they could almost appear and disappear at will. He didn't know what that meant, but it suggested they could have some very unique tactics to deploy. Well, let them. He had some tactics of his own. He looked again at his own small fleet on the display. Not exactly an armada, but plenty of force, all things considered. If the Nihil wanted a fight, they'd get one. Admiral Kanara keyed his comlink, calling over to the Atraxia in order to coordinate his initial moves with its commander, Master Joramali. He knew her decently well. She had a strong military mind, as much as any Jedi could, and was slated to run the Starlight Beacon's Jedi Temple once the station became operational. But since that had not yet come to pass, she was here, in command of the Order's response to the Nihil. Master Mali, he said, we're going to attempt to contact the Nihil command ship. Occlusion from the nebula means there aren't many spots to jump to hyperspace. We blocked most of them off. The majority of the Nihil ships don't look big enough to have on board Navicomps that can calculate another way out in any reasonable amount of time. They'll have to either talk or fight. They can't just run. If they do decide to light things up, you'll be ready to go? Of course, Admiral, came the smooth voice of Joramali. I think I'll take a vector out myself, if it comes to that. I have Avar Chris here on the Anoraxia. She can help link the Jedi together, as she did in the Hetzal system. Fantastic, the Admiral said, and he meant it. The Jedi were always impressive. But what he'd seen in Hetzal during the Legacy Run disaster was remarkable. If Avar Chris could apply that skill set to an actual battle, <laughs> it could bring a decisive advantage. Admiral Cronara clasped his hands at the small of his back. He gave the tactical display one last look, then gave the order. Open a comm channel, he said. We'll see if these criminals want to talk. 
They're trying to talk to us, Delix said. Don't answer, Kossif snapped. I wasn't going to, she snapped back. But we need to do something. All this space dust from the nebula means we can't just jump from anywhere without blowing up. The Republic ships are blocking the closest clear access point to the hyperlane. We could get out with a path, but the eye didn't give us one. We gotta attack, right? said Graven at the gunner's station. If we don't kill these guys, no more Nihil! Just give me a second to think, will you? Kossif snapped. He turned to Delix. Is there another one? An open spot to get to hyperspace without a path, I mean? The woman consulted her screens. Yeah, not super close, but if we go for it full throttle, we can probably get there before the Republic ships catch us. Okay. Kossip said. Give the order. All ships head for that other exit point. From there, scatter. And wait until they hear from me before they do anything. Anything! You got it? No rage, no nothing! Just lie low until I give the word! Gravin spoke up. I don't want to question you, boss, but... Then don't! Kossip said, giving him a dark look. His hand hurt. His head hurt. Everything hurt. He just wanted something good to happen. Gravin didn't seem to get that, though. He swallowed. His throat felt dry as dust. The thing is, Kossuf, Marcian Ru told me, Whitebub and Delix, about the orders he gave you. And he said that if you didn't do what he wanted, then... Then what?! What do you think you're going to do? Kossif roared, pulling his blaster with his left hand and pointing it at his supposedly loyal storm. Now Marcion Rowe was telling his people what to do? Giving them instructions behind his back? Wetbub and Delix drew their own weapons. Well, Delix just powered up her shoulder cannon, but he saw it light up and heard the little hum. The other Nihil on the bridge froze. Unsure of what to do, waiting to see how it would all play out. We're supposed to kill you, Wetbub said. That's what the eye told us to do, if you didn't do what I said. He said what you did at Iriadu put everyone in danger. And this is the only way to keep us all safe. Only way to make them scared of them. What I did, Iriadu! You triggers, lizard! What I did! Like you weren't standing right there next to me, helping me run the whole job! Kossip thought. He could maybe have taken all three, but not with his bad hand. He kept his blaster aimed at Graven and spoke, snarling out the words. You think Marcion knew we'd end up with a Republic battle fleet on us? Look, this is one of two things. Either he knew, and he sent us out here to die, or he didn't. In which case, he'd want us to get out of here to live to fight another day. Whichever it is, we need to go! We can find another way to deal with a stupid flight recorder! He saw his three storms considering these possibilities. Wait, Bob, get on the comm! Try to raise the eye! Tell him what's happening, and ask him for a path out of here! 
The Gungan gave it a second or two, then holstered his blaster and turned to the communications console. Dalix! You give the order to the rest of the fleet! Tell them to run! Get to the other transfer point as fast as they can! Gravin, get back to the weapons grid! Just in case these Republic bastards decide to start shooting! No answer from Marcian Rowe, Wetbub said. But the Republic cruiser is hailing us again! Kossif gave his lieutenants a knowing look. You see? That look conveyed. We're on our own out here! Without another word, they put away their weapons and followed his orders. He felt the new elite's engines kick into a higher gear as it prepared for its run to escape the trap he was increasingly sure Martian Rowe had led them into. <sighs> Delix said, her voice uncharacteristically subdued. What now? He asked. Another fleet just dropped in from the other hyperspace transfer point. We're boxed in, Kossif. Tell me it's Nihil, he said. Tell me it's Panitis, Tempest! It's not. The ship's old register is being from... Iriadu. That's where we messed up the extortion job, Wetbub said. Where that moon got obliterated! An entirely unnecessary clarification. Everyone on that bridge knew exactly what they had done at Iriadu. What they might not know, though, was the reputation of the people who lived there. Kossif did. He had looked them up after his little visit to their system. What he'd learned had made him curse for a minute straight. Turned out that the Nihil weren't the only predators in the galaxy. Iriadu was one of those... warrior planets. A whole culture steeped in ideals of revenge and justice and blood and honor. Easily slighted. Always having duels and poisoning each other and... whatever. But for the moment, it seemed like they had stopped squabbling long enough to come together to hunt him. Guess we're not running after all, Kossip said. Kill every ship. Kill him to fight. Let's kill them all! Everyone on the bridge turned back to their stations, getting ready for battle. They seemed excited. Even his idiot lieutenants, who should probably know better. Kossif tapped a control on his command chair, and the music started. More wreck punk, throbbing and pulsing and clanging. He set the volume to full. Full annoying! Kossif shouted, painfully closing his maimed hand into a fist and holding it above his head. For came the answering cry. Anticipatory and eager. Kossif looked at his crew, his eyes flitting from face to face. In the gray light of the Kerr Nebula, still pouring through the bridge viewports, they all looked like corpses, three days dead. For the Nihil, Kossif thought. For the storm. Space. Elfrona system. Odin Greatstorm pushed his vector a bit harder, accelerating toward the wounded Nihil ship through the vacuum. The iron and rust-colored orb of Elfrona receding behind them. He sensed Indira doing the same in her own ship. Not far now, 
He knew that a safe jump to light speed required a significant amount of distance from Elfrona. Like the world's surface, the space around the planet was a roiling mass of magnetic fields and gravity distortions. There was no way the Nihil would be able to escape before he and Indira caught them. And then... Well, the Force would be his guide. He did not want the Nihil kidnappers to die. He did not want anyone to die, ever. But sometimes, he had found, people chose their own ends. And there was nothing he, or even the Force, seemed to be able to do about it. Well, that was fatalistic. He'd do everything he could to save every life on that ship. But the innocents would have priority. And the line between innocent and guilty had been drawn very clearly when the Nihil chose to throw a young child out the airlock. He keyed on his comm. Bell, do you read me? Master! came the immediate response. Did you? I did, Bell said. I caught her, and we came down safely. Her name is B. She's afraid for her brother and father, but she's all right. Loden grinned. I knew you could do it, kid. As far as I'm concerned, nothing the Council could come up with for your trials would beat what you just pulled off. I'm going to put you in for elevation to Jedi Knight as soon as this all gets wrapped up. Seriously? Seriously. You heard me, right, Indira? Absolutely, Loden. Came Indira Stokes across the calm. See, Bell? All set. But you need to get B back to the outpost. Her mother's there with Portarango. Tell her we'll have the rest of her family with her before she knows it. Have Porter give her some stew. I thought I'd introduce her to Ember, too. Perfect. I'm going to sign off, Bell. Indira and I have some work to do. I look forward to celebrating your elevation. Jedi Knight Zetifar. Master. Thank you. I'm not your master anymore, Bell. You're a Jedi Knight. Not until the Council declares it. And I want you there when it happens. May the Force be with you. It is, Bell. Don't worry. See you soon. Loden flipped off his comm and brought his focus back to the Nihil ship. They were within laser range, and sure enough, a few bolts whipped back at them from the vessel's aft cannon. He and Indira each dodged to the side, their vectors moving as one, easily avoiding the blasts. His calm crackled to life. How do we do this, Loden? Indira said. We both have room for one passenger, and there are two blyas left on the ship. I'll slow them down, then you'll get the first one, and I'll get the second. That's it? That's it. I don't want to overthink this. Fair enough. I'll follow your lead. Loden accelerated, pushing his vector to a speed that rapidly overtook the Nihil ship. Get ready, he said both to Indira and, at least to some extent, to himself. He shoved his control sticks forward and to the side, simultaneously reaching out with the Force and taking the vector's reactive control surfaces and boosting them, allowing him to perform a maneuver impossible for any pilot but a Jedi to pull off. Over the calm... He heard Indira gasp, and despite himself, he found himself smiling. The Vector spiraled up and over the Nihil ship, spinning like a drill, 
avoiding desperate shots from the vessel's cannons, and ending in a position where his own craft was nose to nose with the Nihils, but flying backward, matching the much larger ship's speed perfectly. He was close enough to the other ship that he was inside the effective range of its cannons, and as long as he stayed there, it couldn't hit him. But more important, he had a clear view inside its cockpit, where a rather alarmed woman was flying the ship. She was a Nihil, the first he'd seen with her mask off, and she looked like a person. A youngish human woman with ragged hair cut short, reddish dirt on her face from the sprint across the surface of Elfrona, and two jagged stripes painted down one cheek in blue. A child of the Force, like any other. But the Force did not make your decisions for you. And this particular person had done many terrible things, whether by necessity or choice. Her reckoning had come due. Loden lifted a hand from his control sticks. He moved it gently to one side, locking eyes with the Nihil woman, and spoke. You will slow your ship and open your outer airlock hatch. Through the transparent steel of the cockpit, he saw the woman mouth the words. Loden reserved the mind's touch for times of extraordinary necessity, but this was that, if anything ever was. She didn't need to hear what he had said either. The technique was aptly named. Mind to mind. That's all you needed. Loden kept his eyes focused on the pilot, maintaining the connection in case he had to offer new instructions. He sensed the Nihil ship slowing, and then Indira pulling up and alongside it in her vector. He knew she would have to leap through vacuum to get into the airlock, but it would be a matter of mere seconds, and the Jedi Order trained its members in techniques to withstand the harsh environment of space. These tricks only worked for a few moments. Space was space, after all. But he knew Indira could do what needed to be done. In fact, his connection to the Force told him she had already begun. A sense of great alarm from inside the ship quickly quieted. He didn't know if Indira had also used the Mind Touch, or had been forced to kill the other Nihil inside. He knew several had survived the events on Elfrona. This will be over soon, he thought. Once Indira finished her work and had retrieved the first Blythe, Loden could infiltrate the Nihil ship the same way. He would disable it to allow any survivors from the Raider crew to be collected by either Elfrona's security squads or perhaps a Republic vessel, and then he could bring his newly rescued passenger down to the surface to be reunited with their family. Not a bad day's work. All things get from nowhere, appearing all around him. Ships, many ships, leaping in from hyperspace, surrounding him and the Nihil vessel and Indira's vector. That should be all but impossible. So many vessels making such a coordinated jump and so close to a planet. But the ships were there. Too many for him to count, of all different types. One large craft at the center, sleek and menacing. And around it, a swarm of others. But every last one had three glowing, jagged stripes painted on its hull. Once again, the lightning. Once again, the Nihil. The entire four bulkhead of the Lorna D's bridge was one large viewport, 
made of triple-hardened transparasteel inside a diamond core matrix. Through it, Lorna D could see what she had been sent to this forsaken planet to retrieve. A damaged Nihil cloud ship, which had brought Dentmar Grona's crew to Elfrona so they could kidnap a family and ransom them off to their rich relatives on Alderaan. Near it, two of those annoying little Jedi vessels. Vectors. One was right in front of the cloud ship. So close, it was shocking the two ships hadn't collided. But she had heard Jedi pilots could do amazing things. Much good it would do them now. It was two vectors against an entire Nihil Tempest. The first ship pulled away from the cloud ship's nose, trying either to flee or to get into some sort of attack position. Lorna D snorted. Good luck with that, she thought. Deep Space, the Kerr Nebula. Kossif looked at the battle display, frowning. Almost simultaneously with his order to his Tempest to move into an offensive position, to go on the attack, the Republic cruisers had disgorged an unending stream of those arrowhead-shaped fighters they used. Sky wings, along with a good number of the bigger workhorse ships, the long beams. His people were fighting back, and mostly giving as good as they got in the small skirmishes. But the big guns on the Republic heavy cruiser and its five smaller companions were lashing out. Almost every shot finding a cloud ship. The shields on the new Elite and some of the bigger Nihil ships could withstand those shots, for a while at least. But the cloud ships? No way. They flashed into a cloud of flame and vaporized Durasteel every time a shot found its target. The numbers were still on their side, but it couldn't last and the ships from Iriadu were getting closer with every second, creeping up on them. Implacable. Either his Nihil punched a hole through the Republic fleet and made it to the hyperlane access point, or they might all die right there. There was another ship out there, too. The Jedi Cruiser. So far, it hadn't done anything. But there was no way it didn't have some of those vectors aboard. That was the last thing he needed. Anything from the eye? He called out. Nothing that, boss. Wetbob answered. Kossif hadn't expected anything. He was pretty damn certain no miraculous escape route was going to be uploaded to their path engine. If he wanted to get back to Martian Row and bury his blade in the smug bastard's creepy eye, he'd have to do it himself. He looked at the tactical display, trying to figure out what orders to give. The Republic was chewing his people apart. Their disciplined, coordinated attacks incredibly effective against his Tempest, where each pilot was their own master and fought however the hell they wanted. Most of his Nihil were engaging in dogfights, each trying to shoot down a Republic ship, make a big name for themselves, a good story to tell back at the Great Hall. But against trained military, they just couldn't. That's it. He thought. He keyed open a fleet-wide comm channel. My Nihil! This is the Tempest Runner! You're teaching these Republic fools one hell of a lesson! I'm impressed. But I want them to leave this battle knowing better than to go up against us again! 
Stop fighting them on their terms. They won't learn a thing. Fight like a hill, he said. Fight free. Fight dirty. He grinned. Show them who we are. That's an order. It took a moment or two for that instruction to sink in. But then one of the larger ships, a repurposed freighter, only a little smaller than the new Elite, opened its cargo bay doors. Its engines kicked on, and something spilled out, propelled by the momentum, a gelatinous gray goo. Kasev remembered that this particular ship was a hijack. Evidently, the new Nihil owners had never emptied the cargo containers. And evidently, the ship was originally some kind of waste carrier. The sludge oozed out in a noxious flood, coating the Republic fighters pursuing the freighter. Two Skywings spun out and collided, causing an explosion, which ignited the whole load. Flame rippled out in a surging wave, catching every Republic ship that had been coated with the gunk when the Nile freighter let fly. They all blew up, every one, in a chain reaction of explosions. One of the most beautiful things Kasa ever seen. Quite dirty indeed. The rest of the Nihil saw it too, and they got the message. Suddenly, it wasn't about dogfights or head-on battles with your opponents. Kasa watched one of his ships land on one of the bigger Republic craft, then do a high-intensity engine burn right into the bridge viewport. He saw another crew use the harpoon trick that had worked so well in Abdallis, ripping apart one of the five cruisers. It wasn't all good news, though. One of his bigger vessels, a light corvette, was under heavy attack from a squadron of long beams. Its engines flared out, and the vessel began to drift. That's that, Kossif thought. Blast it! Could have used that ship down the road. A number of escape pods jettisoned from the healing Nihil Corvette, and the long beams immediately broke off their attack and began collecting them with some sort of magnetic cramp apparatus. They towed them back to the nearest big Republic cruiser, entering its docking bay with the pods trailing behind. Kossiv worried for a moment about what those prisoners might be able to tell the Republic about the Nihil and its operations, then realized it probably didn't matter. Things couldn't get much worse. And then, the Republic cruiser blew up in a massive explosion that also took out a number of smaller craft nearby. At the same time, the engines on the Nihil Corvette, the one Kossif had written off, flared back into life, and the ship slewed around, its weapons firing at a nearby set of skywings. Kossif understood what had happened. The escape pods didn't have his people aboard. They'd been packed with explosives. And when the Republic idiots got all noble and tried to rescue them because... <laughs> he said to himself, We are all the Republic. <laughs> he keyed the comm back on. That's it! He cried. Smash a hole right through him! I'm with you all! keyed off the comm system and left his hand to chew the edge of his thumb. A nervous habit. Until he realized he no longer had a thumb on that hand. Any words from Rossi on row? 
he called over to wet bub in response just a shake of the head long dangling ears flopping against bub's skull not that he expected anything it was tossing against the galaxy just like always Admiral Cronara couldn't believe what he was seeing. He didn't expect a bunch of criminals to fight with anything resembling honor. But this was... despicable. One of the larger Nihil vessels had just released a huge swath of reactor byproducts from its engines, creating a tale of invisible, deeply toxic radiation that not only snarled sensors, but poisoned any pilot that happened to fly through it. They'd be condemning them to a slow, agonizing death unless they reached medical facilities immediately. That will catch some of their own ships, too, he thought. It has to. They're killing their own people. The Nihil didn't seem to care about that, about anything, beyond causing as much damage as they possibly could. That strategy was succeeding. He was down two of his pacifier-class patrol cruisers, the Marillion of Alderaan and the Yekabird from Corellia, along with their crews and a good number of long-beam attack ships and Skywing fighters. He wouldn't say the Nihil were winning, exactly. Their tactics were all offense, no defense, and they were taking hits, their numbers decreasing. But they weren't exactly losing, either. This had to end, and soon. It was time to escalate his response. Admiral Cronara checked the displays again, looking at the position of the small Iriaduan flotilla moving inexorably toward the battle. Not close enough yet, he thought. Get me the anorexia, he said, calling over to his communications officer. Master Jora Mali's voice came over the comm a few moments later. Admiral, how can I help? Nihil are using unorthodox tactics. Ugly moves. We can beat them, but our DC pilots don't train for things like this. It'll take time, and it'll cost lives. If you and your people are willing... The Jedi agreed before he finished the sentence. We'll see what we can do, Admiral. The Force provides quite an edge in battle. We'd be grateful for the assist. Of course, she said and ended the transmission. Jorah Mali strode into the Ataraxia's primary hangar, skier at her side. She held a comlink in one hand. Avar, we're going to take out the Vector Squadron. The Republic pilots need our help shutting the Nihil down before things get any worse out there. Can you establish your link to all of us to help to make that task simpler? I can, Avar Chris responded. I'm already hearing the song. Jora knew that Avar interpreted the Force as music. She didn't see it that way. To her, the Force was... a Force. But you couldn't deny the effectiveness of what Master Chris could do. All around her, Jedi ran toward waiting vectors. The Ataraxia's non-Jedi crew fueling and preparing the delicate ships for flight. She saw Elzar Mann and his friend Stellan Geos Nebasik and her Wookiee Padawan Buriaga, the Ithorian Mikkel Sutmani, who had been part of the ill-fated mission during which the Order lost Teami. All strong pilots. They'd need to be. She had reviewed the tactical data from the battle. 
and the Nihil ships seemed willing to go to any lengths to hurt or destroy their enemies. You ready, old friend? She said to Skier as they approached their own vectors. You should be on Starlight Beacon, the Trandoshan Jedi hissed back. You're supposed to be dealing with supply requisitions and unruly younglings, not leading an assault on a bunch of pirates. Let me go by myself. There's no need for you to fly. You can die in bed just as easily as in battles, Skier, she said, climbing into her ship's cockpit. That is certainly untrue. Skier called over, putting an oxygen mask over his broad snout and settling into his pilot seat. What if we both just agree not to die? Deal, she said as the canopy closed. Jorah took her lightsaber, a golden cylinder with curved platinum guards swooping back down toward the hilt like wings, and placed it against the weapon's activation panel on her vector's console. The targeting systems lit up bright white, the color of her saber blade. She had retrieved its kyber crystal, then a bright blood red, from an ancient Sith light spear, and healed it, purging the rage and pain instilled in it by its original owner. She performed the ritual mainly as an intellectual exercise, to see how it was done. But once the process was complete, she found herself tightly bound to the crystal, and now used it as the core of her primary weapon. She pushed her control sticks forward and shot out of the hangar into open space. All around her, vectors and chilliers flashing out from the anoraxia. On me, Jedi, Joramali said, and the ships came up around her, creating the tight formation that only the Jedi ships could achieve. It was a drift, perfectly composed. And the only thing more beautiful than seeing one was being part of one. The battle lay ahead, and they would turn the tide. The Iriatuan ships that advanced slow and steady were now in visual range, which meant they were in weapons range as well. But they hadn't started firing. Kossif thought he knew why. The hunters wanted to terrify their prey before they killed it. A battle was one thing, but this waiting was agonizing. The ships were all long, thin, blade-like craft. They looked like swords, edge on, and they were headed straight for him. Divert a third of our ships to the Iriotoing cruisers! He ordered, shouting at Webbub. We need them gone! Look out, boss, Bub said. He sounded dubious. Not surprising. Kossif was dubious, too. They had killed their fair share of longbeards and skywings, but the Jedi had finally joined the fight, sending out those blasted little vectors. Still, whatever. Jedi could die, just like anyone. No one ever said they were immortal. But the Nihil were running out of tricks to play. And the Republic was getting smarter, letting the big guns on their cruisers do more of the work. It was time to go. What Kossip really needed was a path. But the odds of that were... Kossip! It was Wetbub. A new note in his voice. Hope. 
I've got Master Down Low on the Tom. Put through! Cossive yelled. Private Channel! Marcion Rowe's voice sounded in Cossive's mask. Hey, Cossive, he said. You ran into some trouble out there. I think you know we did, Cossive thought. Yeah, he said. Republic Task Force! A bunch of terror, leaving some ships from Iriadu. Some sort of ambush. I know you all get rid of that flight recorder, but we can really use a path to get us out of here. We're getting hit pretty bad, Marcion. My hope Tempest is at risk. It was just supposed to be a few transports, Marcion replied. I don't know what happened. I'll get you a path. Just keep fighting. I'll say something to your Tempest, too. As the Eye. Okay, great. But how long do you think it'll be until you can send a path? Because... The Link went dead. Cossack wished he could race back along the transmission line. Not to escape, but for the sole purpose of finding Martian Rowe and murdering him in the most savage manner he could dream of. Wedbub spoke again. Another transmission from the owl. Every ship's getting it. Pray through, Kossif said. The wreck punk, still blaring through the bridge speakers, automatically reduced in volume. As Martian Rowe's voice echoed out across the new elite and all the other ships in the Nihil fleet. I am the Eye of the Nihil, and I see the battle you're fighting. I see the Republic trying to take away your freedom, trying to take your hard-won credits, trying to take away your way of life. They want you dead just for living, just for being just for walking a path they don't own. Who are they to tell us how to live? Who are they to come to our territory and try to kill us? The Republic? The Jedi? What gives them the right? Kossav looked across the bridge. Delix, Graven, Wetbub, and all the rest all had stopped what they were doing and were very still, just listening to Martian Rowe's words. He suddenly had a bad feeling, a very bad feeling. I will not allow this to happen. I have a responsibility to the Nihil and the freedom we all believe in so deeply. I am the Eye. And I will give you what you need to defeat our enemies. These are the battle paths, my friends. And with them... A pause. A held breath. And Kossif knew every single one of his people was ready. Waiting. Desperate to hear what Martian would say next. You cannot lose. The new elite thrummed. All its surfaces vibrating with a strange new energy, down to its very core. Delic shouted, looking at her screens. Gossip! The death engine! Something's happening! Psst. 
gear flew as part of the drift. The connection to the Jedi all around him, strengthened by whatever Avar Chris was doing back on the Ataraxia. And the strongest connection of all was to Jora Mali. Her ship just off to starboard. So close, their wingtips almost touched. The vectors had not yet engaged the enemy. The Nihil were still ahead, embroiled in battles with longbeams and skywings. He sensed anticipation all around him, Jedi preparing themselves for the test of combat. His own cockpit was bathed in green light, the color of his lightsaber blade. Everything was ready. He would defend. He would protect. He would bring justice. He was a Jedi, and he... Something happened. The Nihil ships... The... He moved. Shifted. All of them at once were in one place, and then they were in another. They didn't move as one, but in separate jolts and lunges, disappearing and reappearing in varying distances from their original positions. It happened again, and there was no reason to it. No pattern. The Nihil just dropped from one place, and then... A momentary impression of something large, solid, too close to avoid, appearing right in the middle of the drift. And then, an impact so gigantic he could not truly comprehend it. A huge flash of light, and his sense of many of the Jedi around him vanished. Then, something slammed into the canopy of his cockpit, and threw it some sharp chunk of metal that speared directly into his shoulder, through his body, and well into his pilot seat, severing his arm at the joints. Through the shock, Skier thought he understood what had happened. Somehow, the Nihil were entering hyperspace, then dropping back out of it, impossibly short distances away. One had appeared from hyperspace directly in the middle of the drift and the ensuing collision had caused a spreading wave of destruction and chaos. Skier howled! Not so much at the pain, or even the loss of his limb. He was Trandoshan, and so his arm would regrow in time. But it's something worse. One of the Jedi he could no longer sense was Jorah Mali. Evans to Bessie, we just ignited the hyperdrive and are hurling through the galaxy of the High Republic. Part 12 was like a comet blazing a trail through the cosmos, and it left me breathless. I'm as charged up as a bounty hunter that just got paid. I don't know how much more of this story could offer, but I am super excited to find out what's going to happen next. But first, we have to finish this episode, so that means we gotta get to the quote. And this part's quote comes to us from Rodolfo Costa. He said, don't sit still, start moving now. In the beginning, you may not go in the direction you want, but as long as you are moving, you are creating alternatives and possibilities. All right, let me explain this quote in a simple and relatable way. Imagine you are sitting in a car and you want to go somewhere, but you're not quite sure where. This quote basically says, start driving the car. Even if you're not sure where to go at first, just the act of driving will give you more options. You might see a road you didn't know about, or you might get a better idea of where you want to go. How does this work in real life? This means if you want to change something or achieve a goal, you got to start doing something, anything, really. Even if you're not 100% sure it's the right thing, like say you want a better job, but you don't know what kind. Just start looking at different jobs or try learning a new skill. 
The more you do, the more you will figure out what you like and don't like. And eventually, you'll find yourself heading towards something that feels right. It's like you can't steer a parked car, right? You got to get it rolling first. Then you can turn in the directions you want to go. So the quote is telling us to get moving, do stuff. And as you go along, you will open up new opportunities and find new ways. And that's a wrap for this episode. I hope you enjoyed part 12 of Light of the Jedi as much as I did. So get ready for part 13. It's on a fast track to reach us in just a handful of days. So until we meet again, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. The High Republic Light of the Jedi was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. Thank you.